0: Hello everyone. We're back with another show for y'all. As always, we're brought to you by Cathcart Associates, um, technology recruitment experts. (coughs) And I've said before, just all-round decent people. Uh, So give them a shout if you are hiring or want to be hired. So on the show today, we have Tom Hind, Um, He's the CTO of Akari Solutions. They are a Glasgow-based technology company, a Microsoft partner. Who use cognitive services and AI uh, to change how people work, communicate, and access technology? Um, they've also just been recently announced as the winner of the Global Diversity and Inclusion Change Maker 2020 Microsoft Partner of the Year Award. Um, if anyone from Microsoft listening, please make that award a shorter name, which I know Tom will talk about more in the podcast. So, ladies and gents, please welcome Tom Hine to the show. First of all, thanks for coming on, Tom. Really appreciate it.
1: No words at all, Glad to be here.
0: So anyone that listens to the show, we always kick off kind of around about the time of education. So you mentioned just before the show, you're actually uh, back in Derby just now where you're from. But you went to to college there as well, right? Doing, uh, I think, BTEC and IT systems support and networking.
1: That's right. Yeah. So I started off out of secondary school and then I went straight to college. I looked for apprenticeships. But at the time, back in 2012, 2013, there wasn't really anything available for an IT apprenticeship that wasn't what you would probably call data entry or anything like that. So I looked um, for college courses and I found one. It was a fairly new course. It was, I believe, a kind of a level three, four hybrid course, which was um, BTEC in information systems and network support. And it was a fair few modules. It was everything from let's understand how binary works to let's do some digital photography. It was a really broad range of modules. And it was quite fun. It was an interesting two years because I probably learned more about what I wanted to do. I was very much so wanting to become a bit more of an analyst and a bit more because I was quite a developer head on at that time. And I, I definitely want to be more of an analyst. But going through college definitely put me in a place to look at actual business systems and enterprise systems. And that's that's kind of what led me to go to university.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's which, great, you moved kind of straight on to, to Montfort University uh, and you did a degree in business and information systems. So what what does that degree kind of focus on?
1: So it was quite interesting at De Montfort. So I started off doing actual computing for business, um, but that was quite mathematics heavy and quite statistics heavy, which wasn't my bag, but I suppose that was kind of, I, I picked that. So I did swap in the first year to business information systems. Business information systems was quite interesting because it was a mix of enterprise architecture. So doing your um, enterprise architecture diagrams, understanding how systems work, actually taking systems apart and you know the actual business, I suppose, reason behind why systems are what they are. And, you know, we did some quite good work. Um, You could pick a system and analyze it. I picked um, some mad US military and IT implementation and and looked at that. And it was all like not how to build. Well, it it was. We did coding as well. So we did. That was my first ever time I built things. It was C-sharp development and Ruby on Rails development. Um, And I really enjoyed development. So I kind of went from college looking at being an analyst to kind of understanding systems. Then went to uni and it was all, let's actually understand platforms and how to build things. So it was building in Ruby on Rails, but then also um, actually understanding you know, how systems work and how systems are put together and the ethics behind systems as well. So the actual human-computer interaction side. And that kind of put me in an interesting space because I was very interested in building things. I'm not a developer now, and there's very good reasons for that. Awful, awful at development, really bad. Um, I can understand code if you show me something, and if you build something, I can probably read it and say, oh, that does something great. But from university, I ended up getting an internship with Microsoft, which was brilliant. Like I can happily talk about that for days, but that put me in a place where I I was immediately from kind of day one dropped talking to, I was a technical architect at Microsoft um, and I was dropped in talking, you know, from going from university and working at early learning center as a sales associate to talking to some of the biggest companies in the world about stuff I didn't really know about at the time. It was Microsoft (laughs) 365, you know, Microsoft 365. Oh, that's the thing I used to send my uni lecture emails. Um, you know, it wasn't I didn't compute at the time in my head what that would actually mean and you know start to talk about Azure and start to talk about platforms and my interest immediately pivoted to you know I know a bit about enterprise architecture I know how systems are designed and I know how at least they should be designed or designed badly depending on where you look but yeah definitely I immediately pivoted towards platforms and platforms and observability is something and it sounds as lame as you want to put it, it's something I'm quite passionate about now, like platforms and observability is what I look after here at Akari. So that leads into that. But no, working at Microsoft as an intern, um, and I just, just kind of went just over one year at Microsoft. Um, and then I started to look around the partner space. You know, I absolutely loved it. Lo- loved working with partners, loved working with, because um, I was in the enterprise partner group. So I kind of worked with, well, what you'd class as enterprise companies and enterprise businesses, which was great. Because um, I've never had that experience before. You know, I was the first in my family group to at least go to university. So it's something I'd never done before. You know, I'd not dealt with outside of retail, uh, my family of retailers. You know, I've not dealt with anybody who, who was at that level. So that was really, really exciting. Um, and definitely my mentors at Microsoft, you know, I had a mentor at Microsoft who worked in Microsoft for 20 years. Um, so he's, you know, he'd seen everything. I um, mean, everything worked, how everything was placed. Yeah, it was really, really valuable. But I started to look into the partner space. You know, Microsoft is great. It's a brilliant company to work for. I would recommend it to anyone. I wanted to start focusing on kind of my own thing, if that makes sense. Like, Microsoft is brilliant. And, you know, if, you, if you're going to work for Microsoft, it's a brilliant thing to do. But I definitely wanted to start focusing on more almost self-improvement and ownership. So I kind of wanted to own customer engagement. I kind of wanted to look after things. I wanted to build things. Um, and then I moved into the partner space. And that's kind of where So you know, through I work for a couple of partners, um be ia cubed and gci well more or less at the start of last year i started my own um, consultancy business up and consulted for a short time down in L- london principally i more or less lived in a we work for six months which was glamorous um <laughs> yeah then they got hired onto akari as their kind of chief technology officer which is a mad title but hey it's a startup we can call ourselves what we like um, And. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, you know, we, we build applications and we build applications that are used by, you know, real customers. And I'm saying this like, I sound like an absolute child, but it really is exciting. It's one of those things that we've, I've got a team that consults for customers on how to build apps for your 100,000 users, you know, for your um, frontline workers, your engineers, you know, all over the world. And, you know, we build apps as well, which is it's very different. Being a consultancy is very different to, building apps and selling apps it's a completely different market but no that's kind of me right that's what kind of my journey is it's been from i've always been interested in it i've got this really good photo and i really really enjoy it it's um when one of my grandparents was made redundant from a factory her boss said take whatever you want home which is dangerous my grandma lifted a two-stack ibm computer um, (laughs) and took that home and i've got a great photograph and i absolutely love it and it's me sitting and i was about five years old in front of this computer playing like the looney tunes game or whatever it was at the time and like rarely being interested in calculator yeah that's kind of what set me off and i've always been interested in computers and how things work and everything around that and that's kind of what led me to where i am now i don't show up about it as you can see um I, re- I really do just like talking to people about it talking to people about systems talking to people about ai ml and yeah what's happening and what's going to go
0: so i mean you did some of my job there for me which is nice but you mentioned one of the things I always thought when I first got into doing technology recruitment as well is trying to get your head around, like, what does a technical architect do? Uh, and obviously you've done the role of technical architect, you've done the role of cloud architect, because you've got quite a nice skill there that you mentioned that you do understand the technology. You, you can read codes, you can talk, I'm sure, at a good level of developers, but then you also have that ability to talk to the business as well. I'm sure that's kind of where it comes in. So yeah. what, what do you think the kind of key element to being a kind of good Technical architect, or, or whatever title you want to call it around that yeah. world.
1: There's a good split then, I suppose. So, a technical architect is, or what I would class technical architect as, especially when I worked at Microsoft. You know, it's somebody that understands the technical components of a system to to the nth degree. You know, you understand how SQL database in Azure works to the depth of you could net not not. Rarely, but you could go and fix it if it went wrong. You know, you could go and actually tell somebody how that works and tell somebody how to go and fix it. You understand the actual architecture and the backend architecture of your platform, and you are somebody that works with SRE or you work with Dev or you work with Ops on the actual architecture and understanding of systems. Now, architect isn't necessarily you're always going to be drawing diagrams in Visio or Lucid charts. It's you're going to be Actually, building stuff as well. That's kind of what I class technical architect as. You're going to be building stuff for customers, be it internal or external, and you're going to be, you know, you understand how these systems work. An enterprise architect, now people would argue with me on this, and I would class a technical architect as being more senior than an enterprise architect, but an enterprise architect in my head is somebody that can take those systems and platforms and communicate them in a business sense or in a logical sense that somebody in operations or somebody in, you know, IT business partner role can then go and translate to the business and say, we've built, you know, your technical architect will build a bot as an architect, a bot and tell you how it's going to sort of work for the business, almost like a domain architect level. Um, an enterprise architect will be able to at least have pre-done the work on what's this going to look like? What data is it going to use? What's it going to connect to? What impact is it going to have? And then actually, use, you know, communicate with IT leadership or business partners to say, this is what we've done. You know, look at look at this bot. This is what we've done, and there's there's value across all levels of the stack. Where you see cloud architects, and the, you know people see cloud architects all the time. from Microsoft cloud solution architect is quite a popular role there. Um, a CSA or a cloud solution architect is someone I see that you wouldn't necessarily have a cloud solution architect at a bank. You probably would at a bank scale, but you would want either somebody that is a technical architect for cloud or a tech, cloud engineer. Um, And a cloud solution architect to me has always been somebody that deals with customers. So kind of like what I do and what my team does. You know, you go and talk to a customer about the cloud and you have a good TA and EA understanding. You know how this is going to affect their business, but you know how to build it and you know how to whiteboard that out as well. And that's kind of where I see the split between the three roles,
0: Yeah, Yeah. I know that makes sense. Um, And also, I don't know this might have crossed your mind, but given that you started your career at Microsoft, do you think that gave you this could be, I suppose you could take it positively or negatively, but like, you've almost like, you've only ever really known the, the very best. So like, does that make it hard for you when you go to another company or where you're on a customer site where they're not, they're just not getting it. And you've obviously had the Microsoft training and background. So like you're just used to everything being just so good.
1: Yeah. I kind of get that because that's almost one of the reasons why not so much that I, you know, as my internship come to an end, I had the decision to, you know, go, go back as a grad or, or not, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I moved into the partner space was because Microsoft is this brilliant machine, you know, it is this absolute powerhouse of a company, not just from a enterprise side, but from a um, com- consumer side as well. When you look at um, everything they do across Xbox and, uh, and the other areas, so Surface and things like that. Yeah. But- it is, you are still working for an enterprise organization. I imagine if I'd have gone and worked for one of the big finance houses or one of the big banks or any of, you know, if you, if you go on any of the companies on Microsoft's case study website, I imagine if I'd have started my career out with one of those, and I know I know a few people personally who did this as well, where they went and started a career at a fairly forward thinking IT house, you're almost in the same position because you've kind of got it given to you. If that, it sounds really bad, but you've not really had to want anything or, you know, you've not really, you know, the, If you need to know about how something was built, that's fine. I'll just go and Skype the guy that built the thing. You know, it's like you're not necessarily in that place where if you work in a medium sized organization who are a customer of Microsoft, obviously enterprises are as well, but there's degrees of separation between level of contact that you get. And, you know, if you do work in a small or medium organization or as a partner as well, you know, it's very much that you have to learn it a lot more that's something i've actually had a lot of difficulty with is you do feel like you've not learned everything and you do it's a bit like imposter syndrome you do feel like at the level that you're operating at you do feel like i don't know you almost feel like you don't want to learn anymore if you you've learned too much or you hit you hit a point where you do kind of sit back and think am i actually talking rubbish here like am i going to stand up in front of these 200 people at this event and talk about how we built an app and someone's just going to be like well that's a load of rubbish this guy doesn't know what he's talking about and I think you get that more when you start off at that level than if you did kind of yeah. build up um, build up from that. But I will say the mentorship I got at Microsoft and the kind of ground level experience I got at Microsoft helped me with that. I think if I was in a more if I was in a position where, you know, I didn't get that support, then definitely it would be more difficult, or at least I wouldn't have known where to go or wouldn't have been pointed in the right direction as much as I should or should not have been in that space.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And do you also think, oh, I suppose, on the flip side, but you mentioned that you kind of don't want for anything, or you're literally speaking to the people who built the solution, so it just like it's a little bit easier. But do you also get the the flip side of that, where you are kind of just thrown in a little bit? So, like you said, your first couple of weeks there, you were talking about Office three six five and speaking to these enterprise level customers, and that wasn't your bag at all at the time. So, like you just kind of get, you, I don't know, good at thinking on your feet, I suppose. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you, you definitely do. And this is something I saw because there, there was just over 100 interns in my kind of cohort of interns. And um, it was probably the same experience. I was the only intern based in Edinburgh at the time. Um, that's how I ended up in Scotland. Um, and all of the interns down south, it was exactly the same. I sat in a couple of sessions with uh, one of the kind of technical solution architects, a kind of a mix of sales, a mix some of that's aligned to an account uh, in finance. And I sat in a couple of sessions with this bank and, and the guy just turned around one day and said, do you fancy talking to these guys about, um, it was Azure SQL. And I was like, sure. Um, and I kind of turned around and I was like, yes, I will go and do that. And I think I spent the next week reading upon everything I could about Azure SQL. It sounds really boring, but it was a big deal at the time. You know, this was back. I was kind of at Microsoft back when customers were still saying, why should I move to the cloud? It wasn't how it was still why. And it was very much so, you know, the UK data centers weren't built at that time. Um, there wasn't the trust in cloud as there was now. You know, people got uh, this, you know, developers got the agility and ops got the agility. And this is where you started to see a lot of the startups drop themselves on Amazon and things like that. But a lot of the, let's put it in inverted commas, IT teams that were on-premises and they didn't really know what they needed to do over the next five years. They were kind of still asking, why should we move to the cloud? And and I remember just being dropped in this deep end thing. And it, it was very much so, you know, you can go and talk to this massive enterprise customer with no help. Um, any size customer. It wasn't just enterprise. I dealt with a lot of Scottish customers that, you know, under 300 people. Um, and, I, and I ended up standing there and I, you know, you did talk about it. You got asked questions and it was, I'll find out about that for you. And I'll go away and look into that. Um, and that was a massive confidence booster for me as well. Like I was the kid in school who got the report that was, needs to talk up a bit more, I'm very quiet in class. And I, now I don't shut up, which is great. Um, <laughs> but yeah microsoft kind of did that you know it does kind of put you in that you are now dealing with some of the these companies and here's what they expect and here's what we expect of you and microsoft the the microsoft um saying is you know come as you are and do what you love and i definitely ended up doing what i love but i'm a very different person now um than what i was when i started and there's probably a lot to be said about that from how they recruit people and how they mentor people and how um, people in microsoft specifically microsoft scotland at the time um you know, it took me through how things should work in the real world, which was great. As an intern, you know, as somebody that's not really, I've worked in retail before, you know, I've never really had that. I never worked in an IT shop. It was great to see. So on the flip side, it is, yeah, it is one of those things where you do get dropped in and you do learn that. Being dropped in, kind of, as I said, you know, you don't want for anything in the more upper level, but I've worked with a fair few organizations and a fair few, even interns, you know, when I've gone into companies and I've worked with interns and I've done projects with them, you know, where they're helping me build out systems. It is quite good to see people, you know, at a smaller scale where you do have the guy in your business that's worked on that same thing for the last 20 years, you know, actually actually working and interact with people. And that's really valuable as well. But no, I suppose it's, it's positive both ways, but it does have, there is bad things on both sides as well you know size and scale and finding things out and you know you have your role to actually being in a smaller team kind of as we are now and you know you can go and do what you want and figure out what you like because we have that small size and flexibility to do that.
0: Do you think it helped you so I didn't we hadn't spoken about this before but do you think it helped that people still had that lack of information or education or even kind of just um general hesitance towards cloud when You were there because it probably helped you in your next couple of roles, and even when you had your own consultancy. And then now at Akari, like you've been through that of like when nobody knew what it was or or weren't interested in it. To now, obviously, it is a little bit more of like how do you do it rather than why should we?
1: Yeah, it it was great at the time because it it helped not from a personal level as well, but it helped me actually battle people a bit more. You know, you know that whole why should we move to the cloud? And it's kind of like as you'd expect. You know, when you work for Microsoft, here's the Hundred reasons why you should move to the cloud Um, but it also helps you as a consultant actually dig into why this organization isn't quite ready to go yet now the problem that we have is companies and we've definitely seen this in the current situation you know you can talk about COVID all that you like but in this current situation people have gone from two to three year plans to yesterday plans and that whole having that conversation early on about why should we move to the cloud brings up exactly the same answers in the how do we move to the cloud? Because the why should we move to the cloud is why because of cost? Why because of architecture? Why because of operational risk. But now when people need to do it yesterday, it's quickly telling me about operational risk. Why what's the cost going to be? And that should go and do it right now. And that helps you immensely. It helps you from an engagement perspective. You know, at least people are dedicated and they do want to move to the cloud. But it helps you as well from the perspective of let's get something up and running quite quickly. And then you actually see the value of it much quicker. And if you look at the marketing of GCP, Amazon, uh, web services, and Azure, Microsoft Azure, that's that's what it is. It's not, it's difficult to pitch a cloud migration, not difficult to pitch cloud migration. It's difficult to pitch a cloud migration to a team of business people because they're going to sit there and go, but that's a lot of cost. And that's where you've seen a lot of organizations who have completely taken off. I mean, if you look at, you know, the AWS and that Azure case stood his page when it was very new. These are companies that did effectively bite the bullet. You know, nobody knew what it was going to be at the time. And yeah, they've done it and that's effectively it. It's much easier now to say, here's how we do this very quickly in in an agile manner because you understand what the cloud is and, you know, your competitors are doing it and other people are doing it and the devs in your organization have already done it. So let's go and do it. There's not that hesitance. Of thinking about it, especially with the current situation, you know, there's not that hesitance of doing it when it's an essential part of business or it's, it's a utility. As some, you know, cloud economists say, cloud is a utility, and that, that's definitely what it's turned into.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And do you find yourself having to get? Because I mean, I, I think this is right and saying, but Akari is a Microsoft house. Like mm-hmm. across, the, across the stack, right? So did you ever get customers who are adamant they want AWS or GCP and you've either got to point them in the direction of somebody else to do it for you or you kind of talk around the fact that whatever they think it can offer, Microsoft can probably do it and potentially even better.
1: It's actually quite surprising. And if this is probably where being a Microsoft partner helps us is we very rarely are put into the situation of, I don't know what you'd call it, battle carding. We're, we're yeah. very rarely, you know, we're lucky that we don't have to put up a slide now where you're battle carding against other clouds or other providers. You actually, know, here's why you should pick Azure. Here's why you should pick AWS. Here's why you should or shouldn't pick GCP. Um, and we are purely a Microsoft hash. You know, we're a Microsoft gold partner. We, we're an AI for good accelerator program. Um, and all we do is Microsoft. All our consultants do is Microsoft. But it's very rare these days. And, and we do a lot of work from Microsoft, you know, principally our customer engagements, are via microsoft it will be microsoft coming to us as a partner and saying hey you know let's go work with this customer we think what a car is do is really good really cool let's go and take that to a customer and, and see what you can do i've only sat in a couple of situations and they, these weren't even sales situations these were kind of signed and done deal situations where a customer has actually honestly asked me well and it, not as a not as even as a why should i it's you know well why tom why is it that we should go down the Azure route. And what we find now is customers, customers have that commitment. Very rarely, you know, we, we don't typically go into an organization and say, oh, you're using this. That's rubbish. We go into an organization, in, in a very blunt manner of speaking, we will go into an organization and say, okay, you use this. Let's augment that. You know, you have teams. That's rare example. You have teams, but you use AWS and let's just build the bot in AWS and, run it through Teams, you're still using Teams. You're still using that solution that we know You know everybody else is using. Um, yeah. And there's no detriment to doing so, but very, very rarely. And it's probably more so the type of the type of partner that we are. You know, we're not a system integrator at an enterprise scale. You know, we're not taking these banks from one cloud provider to another cloud provider or from on premises to a cloud provider, and um, it's probably at the level we operate at. We're not kind of going in for these. Here's why you should pick Amazon or here's why you should pick Azure. And the reason for that is people have already made that decision over the last five years. What I've definitely seen is people have made that decision. You know, if you've got your startups who are now enterprises, you know, they're now unicorns and they picked AWS, they're not going to move cloud providers. I've had this as well. So I've used AWS personally just to keep up with it, ran small projects on it personally as well. And this is a people issue. It's not a technology issue. If you want to go and run a virtual machine or if you want to go run a web app, you can do that in any cloud. You can go stick that in Azure. You can go stick that in AWS. You can go stick that in GCP um, and Cloud Run or whichever it may be. It's going to do the same thing. It's not going to... Yes, there'll be different costs. There's different advantages to doing so. There's different maturity levels of the feature set that you're going to get with that web app. But at the end of the day, if somebody hits your web app.com, it's going to do the same thing. What, pe- what organizations have got to do now is if you turn around to your team and say, okay, we're going to move today from Amazon Web Services to Azure. You're losing. People are either going to leave. They're either going to be very upfront and they're going to go, well, that's cool. I'm just going to go get a job at the next house that uses AWS. Or they're going to be very, very annoyed at you unless you provide training and learning, which many companies do do in very slim levels. Or you're going to have a lot of very irritated engineers that now need to completely learn a different skill set because as much as a virtual machine is a virtual machine, the taxonomy and the platform is completely different between all of the clouds. You know, A network is a network, but the way you do that and the way you access that and the way you configure that is completely different across all the clouds. So yeah. we, we very rarely get put in those battle card situations because people have typically made up their mind. And at an enterprise level as well, and I don't like multi-cloud very much, but at an enterprise level as well, when you kind of get your global orgs, they are going to be using three or four clouds or two two three four clouds you know they, they're going to have their multi-million dollar data centers in the us they're going to have the hyper conversion infrastructure in the uk they're going to have um their development teams are all going to be sitting on amazon There, their ias teams and infrastructure guys are all going to be sitting on azure and they do have that and you know those systems shall never talk to each other because multi-cloud is expensive and all that um so yeah we very rarely get put in that position
0: and we've kind of mentioned Vakari. So, so the last year or so, you've been CTO of Vakari Solutions uh, in Glasgow. You guys have been in the press recently with some much needed good news during all of this. So in case people don't know who the team are and, and what you do, you um, want to tell us a little bit about them. And I mean, obviously, feel free to talk about the award as well, because you, you'll know much more about it than I do.
1: <laughs> yeah, d- no, definitely. So Vakari um, so Solutions, we're a Microsoft partner based in Glasgow. We are what's supposed to call a Microsoft Pure Play partner. So that's a partner that only ever uh, deals in Microsoft solutions. We do do a bit of automation on the side with UiPath as well, which is interesting in its own right with where Microsoft's going with that. But we are a Microsoft partner based in Glasgow. We operate across all of the UK and we uh, deal with companies that are global. So principally global based out of the US, based out of Europe. And we definitely don't have a problem with doing that. I manage a team of consultants and development resource. So senior application developers and Microsoft consultants that have, you know, been in the IT game for 20 years um, through help desk, through IT shops, through, you know, consulting on on-prem deployments. And we have a really, really strong team of capability. And that's, you know, that that, that skill set's changing now as well. We also have operations. So booking and engagements, managing engagements and managing customers and a marketing team as well. So, we are quite small in a roundabout way, you know. We're we're around under thirty people, under thirty staff, but we are quite a tight knit team, and we all know what we're doing. And we all know what our role is, and we're quite, you know, we can we can get on with what our day job is. We have four, four kind of business pillars. So we have Microsoft Cloud, which is you know anything intelligent cloud. That's anything Microsoft three hundred and sixty five, Azure, uh, Microsoft Teams, and definitely fits into that as well, and Power Platform. We have intelligence automation. So we're a UiPath Silver partner as well. So we do your desktop RPA. It's actually you know, making button uh, making processes run quicker, buttons click quicker, making um, agents and attendants run quicker and processes quicker. We also have diversity and inclusion and that's where our applications come in. So under our intelligent apps, that's Ava and ATS and Akari Virtual Assistant and Akari Translation Studio. And then we also have a large focus on change management as well. So we don't, just do the whole let's go and roll your teams out to your 20,000 users. We also have a very, very strong um, pro size certified team that do change management. So, actually, how should you know why are you doing this? How should you be doing this? Let's understand the actual business reasons and the processes in your business to make it that you're not just going to purchase 20,000 teams licenses, you're actually going to be using them as well and actually getting the most out of your money. Because when you turn around in three years' time and your agreement's up and you've got 20% usage, well, you're going to say to Microsoft, well, this this was a waste of money. And that's something we do as well. So we've got a good split. When you actually split those into two, you've got a good split of consultancy and you've got a good split on application um, and and sales applications that we build as well. But um, the award, effectively, so we won one award in Microsoft Inspire for Microsoft Partner of the Year, a Global Partner of the Year as well, which is brilliant. And we would nominate, which was Diversity and Inclusion Changemaker Award, And we were a finalist in two categories. One was teamwork solutions, and one was teamwork itself. So that kind of points to what we've been doing over the last 12 months, which is Teams, 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 Teams. Um, That's that's been the focus over the last 12 months and Power Platform. Now, the Diversity and Inclusion Award comes about, we have an application called AVA, which is a Cori virtual assistant. And this is built in Microsoft Teams. And that is effectively a virtual chatbot, learning chatbot friend, as, as you want to call it. And, you know, that's going through some iterations as well. You know, you could spend an hour talking about Ava and where, where, where things went wrong and where things went right. But now we've effectively built a chatbot, which you can ask any question at all, and it will go and find information across your business. If you ask it, what's the latest on this? Where's the latest pay What's the latest data? And it will give you the answer back. But it also checks up on employee well-being as well. So on a schedule, it will ask, you know, how are you feeling? How are you getting on? Is anything bothering you? And this isn't just in the commercial space, this is in the education space and the third sector space as well. And that collates your answers, so we effectively anonymize and um, scrape, so to speak, or gather uh, all of those messages. And we run a number of different machine learning um, slash artificial intelligence solutions on that, all, all the kind of Microsoft Cloud solutions on that, to pick up things like opinion, sentiment, trigger words for vulnerabilities as well. And that's where the diversity and through our change management practice as well, we all have a large focus on accessibility and inclusion. So accessible technologies and inclusive cultures. Um, And that's where that award comes from, effectively. So in part due to the fantastic change management team that we have, but also through the applications that we've been building as well.
0: Yeah, I was going to say the the, the award seemed like a a pretty big deal as well. So I'm pretty sure, please correct me if I'm wrong, it was the only Scottish company, right?
1: Yeah, so we were the only Scottish company to win that specific award. Um, And yeah, only Scottish company to win the, uh, this year at least anyway, the Global um, Partner of the Year award for that. So that's really, really exciting. We were also the only Scottish organisation in the AI for Good cohort at the start of the year. So from February until May, we were part of what was called the AI for Good programme, which is where Microsoft effectively identify And not we were the only, well, as far as I'm aware, one of the only Microsoft partners in that program of 12 companies. So it's not just, and, you know, these were companies that had been through the Facebook accelerators, they used AWS, they used other tools, but through the solutions, the AI for good accelerator doesn't really care about that. There is the aspect of Microsoft Cloud, but the idea is you're building something with AI or that is going to bring about positive change or positive good. So we were in the AI for good category for accessibility through AVA, um, and you know there were fantastic solutions for looking at, you know, environmental impact, um, medical impact, mental health, um, and yeah, we, we were the only Scottish company out of twelve um, in the UK at least um, on that cohort as well, which was really exciting.
0: Yeah, no, it's pretty amazing. And you, you mentioned a little bit already, but is the part where AI and kind of machine learning comes into Akari? Is it mainly through the the Ava chatbot? Yeah
1: uh principally yeah so for for the products that we build so ava Ava and atsa ava principally and that's where the majority of our ai and ml focus is where we consult with organizations and customers at the moment chatbots seem to have seen this huge resurgence in popularity um so where where customers are looking at using um power virtual agents or building bots themselves you know using a bot framework like we have looking at you know language understanding services and looking at language translation and understanding of sentiment and um, even AI for picking up imagery, so receipt scanning, form processing and things like that. Um, yeah. But in terms of our, princi- our principal focus for AI and ML is definitely in our, in our own products.
0: And you said you worked across uh, like Europe, US, UK. Does the, fr- the bot framework for Microsoft, does that make it easy to use the, the tool in different languages and different, I mean, even with American Spellings and uh, and phrases does it doesn't make it quite easy?
1: Uh, yes, so this is where we actually so when when we say we use machine learning and ML, we do use a bit of automated machine learning for predictive um, analytics and for the detection of vulnerable words, and we are building our own models for that. Yeah. Where and this is where the kind of the power of without sounding like salespersons and the power of the Microsoft Cloud comes out is we were very able to quickly pick up APIs and just use them and get up and running. So when you look at, so at the principal AI model or tool that we use is LEWIS, which is Language Understanding Intelligence oh, Services. Yeah. And that is effectively an entry point for a bot where you can, you know, you, you type your query in your language or, you know, in English or English US. And it does two things principally. It does more than two things, but it understands intent and it understands the entity that you're talking about. So switch off that light and it's, you know, switch off brilliant that's the uh, intent or off is the intent and light is the entity and that's what lewis does it you can write war and peace but as long as it has an intent and entity in there or intent um, or entity for pulling back information that's all that matters and lewis does operate across a few languages um i say a few it does operate across a fair few languages as you'd expect and but we have seen difficulty with bots because there's kind of two ways you can deal with bots in multiple languages you you can either Deploy a bot per language, which is more expensive, but there are benefits to that if you want specific bots to understand certain, I don't know, let's say, cultural triggers and understandings. Yeah. Or you can try and build all of the languages into a chatbot. You're then restricted by what the vendor can provide, so Microsoft in this instance for, for language support. With a good development team, it isn't, but that can also be quite difficult to pull it apart because there are nuances for you know, linguistics and how people interact with a chatbot and how you know, you pull density out for different languages. I suppose we're quite lucky that principally our customer base has been English, or at least the most interest for the bot has been English. It's, it's one of those things that's quite difficult to deal with. You can either build a bot in that language or, I suppose, try and make one bot use all of the languages that are possible, which you can do with Lewis and the AI models, or you have to translate the text, but that's a different bag.
0: Yeah, and I mean, like we said at, this, uh, at the start, you've been with the company uh, for around a year. It's been a pretty manic year, even if you take out the global pandemic. But we've had to deal with COVID, you've won some awards, you said that you've went through loads of iterations of, of the products. What What does the kind of rest of 2020 look like? Uh, and I suppose and am beyond for, for you and the team.
1: Mm-hmm. So I suppose this, to start that off, if, if I kind of look at where I'm, def- my focus is good, for the rest of the year, it's because I, I do deal with that kind of enterprise organizations that we work with as well. So kind of from a strategy and um, oversight perspective. So I, I kind of look after customers, so to speak, but my team do, deal with that as well um, brilliantly. And so my focus at least for the rest of the year is definitely going to be improving the products. And I've got a big focus now on things that we're looking at that you shouldn't leave until later if that makes sense so site reliability and observability and monitoring of platforms and things like that the whole product iterations you know we, we wanted to build a chatbot very early on that did have a focus on accessibility and inclusion you know making sure people were included in conversations you know it was accessible to students who were potentially on the spectrum and they wouldn't go and ask a person felt they would ask a chatbot felt and we did want to make this bot that did everything it could send email and check your to-do lists and do all this other stuff and that just completely—it was definitely the wrong way to do it. You know, when you look at apps on your phone, one app on your phone will do one thing very, very well. And, and yeah. AI for Good definitely helps us with this. You know, from the very first few weeks, we were sat in AI for Good cohort. I had some brilliant chats with people at Microsoft, um, and you know, CTO of the program. And I was very much so like, this is what we want to do. And I was like, wow, that's a lot. <laughs> I was kind of like, I, I know. So we've definitely, you know, the whole finding, gathering information, the finding information. Um, well-being is definitely where we see Ava at the moment. So, you know, Ava was going to have these skills like Alexa and it was going to be able to do all these different things. And, yeah, we would have needed a development team of 100 people. And the problem with that is, as well, cost and technical debt and everything else, you know, we pay, you know, we are as much a customer of Microsoft as we are a partner. So we have cloud costs, we have cloud optimization considerations. and being, you know, consulting on Azure for the past five years has definitely helped us build that platform out. But moving forward, definitely my focus is going to be on improvement of the product and observability and making sure that product actually works for whichever happens in the future, as, as we've seen. Yeah, building out um, capability across, I suppose, the consultancy side of the business for Power Platform. Low-code and no-code solutions are something which we have seen pick up they were very much a talking point they were very buzzwordy and a lot of developers and a lot of it managers or a lot of kind of old school it guys like me haha uh, looked at low code no code and I went that's ridiculous and now I, I honestly don't talk to a company that doesn't mention it or they need a center of excellence on it or they they want to look at how to actually govern this and manage these solutions i.e power platform effectively and it's something where i've seen This whole idea of citizen developers and citizen development, it's something where we've seen people, you know, in retail stores and in back office scenarios build applications that do do something really simple but really effectively. So, you know, scanning barcodes, scanning receipts, moving data around, ordering PPE in retail stores um, on your mobile phone, you know, things like that there's always going to be a need for what what we call pro developers. There's always going to be a need for the guys that know the systems and can build the platforms. You know, my, my development team so to speak, are pro developers, you know, they know the bot framework inside out, which we're incredibly lucky to have, you know, that level of understanding. But there's all, you know, no code, low code, and the power platform as, as we go forward um, is definitely something that we're going to be building out capability for. Or at least I'm going to try and build that capability myself as well. You know, I can talk about these things for days, but being able to do it is a different, different thing. And, yeah, Yeah. that's something we're focusing on for the next year is definitely the apps, or at least Ava principally, from a platform's perspective. And, you know, how can we improve that with everything that's going on in AI and ML and well-being? And especially with return to work, yeah, power platform and customer engagements.
0: So this year won't be any quieter than the the first year?
1: (laughs) Uh, No, hopefully not. I mean, I I really, really enjoy it. I I do, um, yeah, this is definitely something that I, I do Day in and day out, and I really, really love it. Like I've only ever done, as I said, you know, I've only ever done IT. I'm quite lucky, and again, this kind of comes down to the size and scale thing. I'm quite lucky that we can experiment with platforms, or we can experiment with things in a way that you probably wouldn't be able to do if you were in an enterprise organisation and you did have to follow. Not saying that we don't follow runbooks and we don't follow policies and procedures, but you know, we can experiment with things tomorrow that you wouldn't be able to sit and do if you were an enterprise organization or you would have to go and do it by yourself you know that level of i know we're lucky as well that if we do want to go experiment with something like let's say project cortex and um, with microsoft we can go in and you know we have a level of access to microsoft that gives us the ability to go and kind of communicate with that team so we can go and build it into our product as well so yeah hopefully hopefully it's not going to quiet down and um, definitely the next 12 months or so depending on what happens you know with people returning to work with um, the pandemic and everything else that's happening at the moment, yeah, it's been an interesting period to work in technology. I could say that much. It's been a really interesting period, kind of as I say, everyone's yeah. moved from one to two year plans to this week and yesterday plans. So that's no, been good.
0: Yeah, well, that actually, brings me on as well. So you mentioned just before the show and uh, when we talked before that the lease just ran out in your guy's office, right? And uh, and mm-hmm. right now it's just home working, and uh, and that will probably be it going forward with kind of an element of some flexibility as well, like. Um, yeah, working co-working.
1: Effectively, yes. Yeah. So we kind of made the decision to kind of you know let that run and, and you know close the office, so to speak, because we did have an office and it was a fine office. You know, it was in Glasgow city centre. It was a G two postcode. You couldn't have had a more central office than where we were. But you know, our, I was out all of the time. My team were mostly out all of the time on customer site or otherwise. And in a roundabout way, everything that's gone on has effectively been good from the perspective of we can actually see how effective people can people can work from home and you know i I talk to organizations that do have you know when you look in glasgow city center and there's all these different you know buildings with one name on them you know um, these hundred thousand square foot offices i do talk to these organizations and they are looking at not just scaling down their office capability but you know where they're building new offices they are trying to build them a bit more like co-working spaces i think very much so and i hate to sound like i'm writing a linkedin post Gone are the days of, um, you know, you have a desk and you go and work, work at your desk. You know, you go and work in a space. And the idea of that space is to make you comfortable. And when I say comfortable, I don't mean ping pong tables, and you know, foosball. I mean, somewhat refreshment, good Wi-Fi, quiet as well. I think everyone's kind of done with an open office now. But, you know, you do have your team members there. Co- working from home is great. But I know a lot of people that have the same problem as I do, which is you spend all of your time in meetings, so you don't actually get any in inverted comms work done. You know, the meetings are as important as the work is, but it's very difficult when working from home, depending on, you know, how your team works and how your organization works to get focus time and to actually focus because as soon as you wake up, you're working, which is great for the employer. You know, there's no commuting. There's no spend on that. You're not having to pay for coffees and teas in the office, that sort of thing. But yeah, it can be difficult to find focus time and it can be quite difficult for some people to switch off. I'm definitely one of these people. And I know I'll admit it. I, I find it very difficult to switch off from work and that's where hopefully looking at co-working is going to come in because we do have people in the organization that do prefer to work from an office you know they do prefer to have that person next to them in their team where they say well, what's happening with this event what's happening with this marketing campaign um you know what's happening with this platform and just that flexibility to you know bring customers into an open meeting space and yeah i think it's a bit more relaxing than having having a you know an official office so to speak
0: yeah, no, I think it makes sense, and I think, like you said, you guys are quite small and agile, so there's an ability to, to make those decisions quite easily, whereas, yeah, you th- I mean, we touched upon the, the big companies with one name on a building, I mean, I'm sure some of them have got 10, 20-year leases signed up, so I don't know how easy, how easy it will be for them to get out, but you made a good point, and they might just reshuffle how they're actually, like, configured rather than getting out of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely, I think, well, you know, when you look at, and I'll pick Glasgow City Center because that's where I'm based, but, you know, there's... there's office buildings being built for individual companies in glasgow city center right now and you know the facilities and lease management people in those companies must be kicking themselves you yeah, know that, that, that's hindsight and foresight isn't it but yeah it is one of those things where i think even with your traditional enterprise organizations that didn't have the means even public sector organizations you know councils and blue light services that they, they didn't have the means through either funding or through technology to enable people to work from home they've had to So, you know, through, and this is kind of what I talk about, you know, two two to five year plans, yesterday plans, they've had to do that. So now they are in a place where they probably do realise the value of there's no harm in letting people work from home. Because working from home has the kind of two parts. You've got your working from home for your old school organisations where, you know, people must be in the office and they must be there to, to do work. And I think this has actually shown that people don't really have to do that, you know, through legal firms, through councils and everything else. They really don't have to be in the office to do work or be as effective with customers. And it's something we've seen as well, you know, we moved to remote delivery on March the 15th, and we've not seen that impact customer relationships, we've not had any customers come turn around to us and say, I would rather you be doing this on site, which we've never really had anyway, but it was, you know, what everybody did, so why not? And yeah, it's, it's been it's been really interesting to see how people are going to go moving forward. I think definitely offices are going to be, you know, your meeting spaces, your huddle spaces, your stand-up spaces, hopefully, and, you know, people would be unable to work from home more or able to work from home more.
0: No, I think you're bang on. And then just lastly then to, to finish off, where is um, the best place for you know, people to stay in the loop with what uh, Akari are doing or indeed if, if you're active on social media as well? So I'm
1: not as active as I should be. I am starting that. Um, I'm, I've, you know, I've got a medium and I've got a Twitter and I'm super, super there with all that stuff. Um, I'm definitely going to be picking up on that. I'm actually doing some interesting stuff with Microsoft at the moment around Akari's journey from serverless to serverless. So actually, you know, our journey with Cloud Platform and Optimization is so be coming out soon. The best place is the Akari Solutions LinkedIn. Our website has all of the information around what we do and how to get in contact with us and who we are. But definitely, our LinkedIn is the best place to keep up with events. I'm running an event tomorrow on the Power Platform with my team, so we've got three hours talking about Power BI, Power Apps, and Power Automate. Um, yeah, yeah, LinkedIn is the best place to keep up to date with us. I'm fairly active on LinkedIn as well. Um, and I'm definitely going to be pivoting more to writing blogs because um, people do find these things interesting as I do. You know, I read the Netflix blogs. I read the SkyScanner blogs and everything else on their cloud platform and how they scale. And yeah, I think definitely, and that's kind of what I was asked by Microsoft to do, you know, write a bit about what would you have liked to have done? You know, what if, if you were starting a car tomorrow, what would you have liked to have done? with the cloud and, and definitely that's something I'm hopefully going to be writing more about. But yeah, definitely uh, a car solutions LinkedIn. Um, I'm on Twitter as well.
0: Yeah. I'll tag, a will tag a carry into the LinkedIn post when we, when we post the show as well as yours. So people will find it yeah. very easily. Yeah. All right. Well, well, thanks very much for the time, Tom. I uh, really appreciate you coming on and, uh, and uh, congratulations again to you and the Akari team. It is really cool to see kind of a Scottish company really uh, flying the flag for, for certain yeah. solutions and, and, and what you guys do is really cool as well.
1: No, thank you very much for having me. No, it's been really, really cool. I mean, you have to talk about it all day, but um, no, really, thanks for having me. Yeah, it should be an exciting year ahead, definitely.
0: So it was a lot of fun. Tom is a really interesting guy. He actually, um, before the podcast told me, he just turned 25. He's um, is CTO of a, a startup in Glasgow who are doing big things obviously just loves what he does um, and uh, kind of just so positive um, which is always nice to hear so it's great to have him on it'll be cool to see what Akari do in the coming months and years Um, thank you again to Cathcart Associates for sponsoring and we'll be back soon cheers everyone goodbye